Imagine you have a health challenge, either physical or mental. You go to seek professional help and are prescribed spending some time outdoors in a local green space. You could be doing anything from a group walk to gardening in a local park, sitting in woodland or exploring new landscapes on your doorstep. You weren't expecting this. You were thinking it would be a referral or some meds. What just happened? I'm Lindsay, welcome to the Landscape Podcast, where this time I'm going to explore the concept of green social prescribing and nature connectedness. I'll be getting the inside take from an occupational therapist and coordinator of green social prescribing and an organisation putting the concept into practice, as well as examining the role Natural England has to play in this area. So here's the big question. What exactly is green social prescribing and how does it differ to nature connectedness? I'm delighted to say that joining me is the coordinator of the social prescribing unit at the University of Central Lancashire and mental health research and knowledge exchange lead, Samantha Pywell. Welcome to the pod, Sam. Hi, everyone. Oh, it's so nice to have you. What exactly is green social prescribing? Um, the green social prescription is where the link worker or allies health professional might actually refer the individual to a community group, a voluntary group that deals with um, all things green and all things that make you well. So things like community gardening, um, they might get you involved in um, really connecting a lot more to nature projects. There's quite a few different things that you can get prescribed to but it's a very place-based thing so obviously working on what's strong within the local community and helping people connect to the local communities. Is this something that doctors are using regularly because I think to many people this, this will seem like quite a new idea but obviously the natural world has been there for a very very long time. Social prescribing's existed for many years we know that getting out into nature in a variety of ways does positively impact people's health, it impacts their mental well-being, their physical well-being as well, but getting to the root of what suits that particular individual, that's where we start to talk about personalised care. The next question is, how does this translate into real-life solutions? Kieran McGlazen is director of So The City, a social enterprise based across Greater Manchester who support local food growing and community-led initiatives. And George Coombs is Natural England's senior advisor for health and the environment in the North West. It's brilliant to have you both with us. Kieran, I'll come to you first. The idea of implementing this green social prescribing via So The City, how did that come about? The COVID pandemic really sped this up because I think we all realised the benefits of being outside. Um, mental health, you know, we were all suffering that isolation, the connection with other people. Um, and so for us, we had an amazing network of community gardens that we'd helped establish in the city. And so we just started working, connecting, um, coming up with an idea about how we could connect people with these spaces. And have you found that's continued after lockdown? Because I, I totally understand what you're saying there. As soon as we had something taken away from us, everybody wanted to be outside. And people said to me quite a lot in, in the line that I do, oh, aren't the birds loud? They're, they're louder in lockdown, aren't they, than they were before lockdown? I said, no, they've always been there. It's just that you're starting to notice these things. Has that continued? Because that, that has been more difficult following lockdown to sort of keep those connections, I think. It's this recognition that nature and people are completely intrinsically related they're not separate things and in using nature to improve people's health 
but also the fact that you know with people getting healthier we have a healthier planet and that also occurs as well so it's linking them entirely. So how do you feel your projects interact with the landscape in particular and I guess what's the most surprising outcome that you've seen from the kind of work that you do? So taking the uh, second point you make there, the surprising outcome is, well, that we've had people tell us they don't feel suicidal anymore. We've had people that have gone on to um, develop friendships, relationships with people in their their areas that they didn't even know were there. Um, And for me, you know, the crux of our work is all about um, the five ways to well-being, because food growing ticks connection, keep learning, being active taking notice and give you know we are you know subjecting people to that and you know that is just fascinating and people go home with carrots and foods that they've grown. What kind of challenges have your users faced in terms of accessibility? From the user's perspective or the people that have accessed the service it's quite unknown isn't it and if you're imagine if you've been referred rather than just to the pharmacy or something like that if you've been referred uh, somewhere to a place in your community that you've never been to and you suffer from depression or confidence issues and that sort of thing it's quite a challenge to you know go from A to B you might express interest but there are calculations that I think the health service use about the saving for mental health services from someone accessing a service. So what is the pressure it's released on mental health? And that is a really fascinating approach for me. Oh, I think that's so interesting. And more research is being done that is being added to all the time, isn't it? That sort of evidence, really, that that this stuff is working and it's, it's so worth the funding that goes into it. George, let me bring you in as well from the Natural England side of things, because, um, I guess one of the challenges as well is, is simply the space and having the access to these, these green areas in terms of maybe where you live or your social economic background, where you can get to. Um, is there any specific work being done to, to combat this via, via policy in particular? So from Natural England's perspective, we need to value that in, in urban spaces, we need to be the sole champion there advocating for greater green and blue infrastructure within redevelopment, whether that's in changes to current developments or that's new development in certain um, derelict or unused areas. Um, and it needs to be targeted to make sure that individuals in our society um, who maybe have higher levels of deprivation in their certain areas or there's higher levels of health and social inequalities, they have a greater access or improved access to those natural green and blue assets. Can I just jump in and say, when you say green and blue, do you mean green as in outdoor green spaces and blue as in water? So when we talk about green spaces, we're very much talking about local parks. We're talking about those little um, alleyways and corridors. And from a blue space perspective, it could mean anything from a coastal space right on your doorstep. So if you live in a coastal town um, or you have access to sort of a, a water area, canals as well and rivers. They're a massive lifeline for people to be able to get from one place to another, which is why when we look at natural green and blue assets, we're not just talking about your standard local authority parks. It's everything that comes under that, which is why blue is quite interesting, because it's canals, rivers, marine spaces. I could see Sam nodding away there, because um, I think one thing that I'm really interested in is, is this idea of how accessible is it? And if you have been prescribed this by a GP, you know, is it just a question of standing outside your back door and looking up at the sky? Outside isn't always a safe place for everyone. It's not perceived as a safe place. Um, So you think about people who have experienced significant trauma, um, you know, but 
however that's happened, we also need to respect that actually forcing somebody into that situation, um, like into a walk in the woods, might not be right for them at all. But give them nature where it's it's more of a sense of an open space where they can see effectively all the exits. It doesn't feel, um, you know, like a forest where you, ca- where you can't see the exit. So the, there's something definitely about understanding where that individual's at. You can't give the same prescription to everyone. What, what do you think are the human health risks if we don't protect and preserve our natural world? The reason I was sticking my hand up is there was, um, in, in terms of the impact on health, the, even looking at nature, looking at a sunflower, a tree, reduces the cortisol on our skin. So just looking at nature reduces stress. Being exposed to more green space equated to living five years longer, five years, you know, just by, you know, having it around and being able to access it. So if we can get people to an outdoor setting where they can look at sunflowers, take notice of the trees around them, reduce their stress, then actually access food in a cost of living crisis be subjected to you know growing it the benefits of that and when you grow food you are, you also exercise as well as get interested in a healthier diet green social prescribing programs could actually save the nhs over 635 million per year and that's huge isn't it that's absolutely huge and I think, I think when you look at it full circle as well, is that once people have that connection and they've made um, new links, maybe by growing or by simply going for a walk, then they start to care about the nature side of things as well. And I always say when it comes to nature, if you don't know about it, why would you care about it? So the more that we sort of create this loop, then nature recovery sort of comes back round. So it's mutually beneficial, would you say, George? Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, to, to look to your question that you asked in terms of actually why is this so important for nature recovery from a broader sort of public health perspective as well. And it's so important that Natural England and the wider sector are now more aligned with the health sector in advocating for this message. Because when we look at nature recovery within our urban spaces, we know that as a result of the climate and ecological crises, our urban spaces, and when we look in certain wards and areas within those urban spaces, it tends to be these areas of high deprivation, high levels of health and social inequality. And they don't have the greatest access to nature and green spaces, tree canopies. Well, they're the areas is where the heat dome effect is going to increase exponentially. So homes are going to get far warmer. People's productivity will go down massively. People, unfortunately, will die from these heat increases that summers are going to have happen year on year on year. Um, On top of that as well, we're going to get extreme weather conditions mainly in our urban spaces and the Office for Health Improvements and Disparities have fantastic data which is not fantastic um, which showcases the level of flooding in those urban spaces as well so how can we incorporate nature in urban areas to act as sustainable urban drainage systems to alleviate the strain on our man-made areas but also the natural environment so it's not constantly flooding multiple times throughout the entire year Um, so when you look at it from that mental health perspective and engaging with nature and improving people's physical health but also there's the detriment that actually without doing this what it's going to have on our built environment and therefore a general public health concern they're the messages which were really amping up to the health sector our regional bodies to state that it's not just a a nice to have 
um, that you can stick on at the end of your strategic plans. It needs to be rooted deeply in how nature recovery and public health are intrinsically linked. I totally agree with you, George. There's definitely something around the narratives that we use with the public and with our future generations as well. Um, one example that's just sprung to mind is the narratives we use with our children around when it rains. So when it rains, it's dangerous. You've got to go inside. Why is it dangerous? Why can't they have wet play? So it's such a basic narrative, and that feeds right the way through to, you know, looking at, at climate change. So having that greater nature connection through projects like this, which we know improve mental and physical health, is so important. Like if granddad goes and, and has a go at a project, but also there's children and young people's green social prescribing as well, getting all generations involved. I was thinking about a very random point, but related. Apparently, children's exposure to green space in, in the media and in books is only 10% of, it, of what it was when I was a, a nipper in the 80s, thinking of Postman Pat, Noddy and Big Ears, what they got up to. And if you look back to my mum's old Rupert annuals, it was all nature-based. Now, having young kids myself, you turn on the telly, it's very gaudy and loud, but they're all Postman Pat's whizzing around an urban megapolis, you know, in a helicopter... And we've sort of lost that connection. And they call it natural deficit disorder, which I'm sure I don't need to preach to you and your colleagues. And I just think that's really sad, but also through the work we're talking about here, what an opportunity, because kids are kids. They see a slug, they see a worm, you know, they see a flower, they eat a carrot they've grown, and, you know, all is not lost on that front. That's such an interesting point, because people say to me, um, oh, where did you find your love of the natural world? And I say, well, when did you lose yours? Because we're born with it. You know, kids want to be outside. They want to be jumping in puddles. And it's, it's sort of up to us and up to na natural England as well to sort of make sure we can keep those connections going. And actually, maybe the word prescribing is quite interesting as well, because it's sort of giving permission, isn't it, in a way, and sort of saying this, as you take medication, this will help you get better. So therefore, I'm prescribing you and giving you permission to go and do this. This will help you. It's clear then that accessing nature and landscapes has many benefits to both our mental and physical health. And with this in mind, I'd like to start looking forward if I can. And I wonder how important it is to kind of consider the kind of ideas that are being developed in this area and the role that landscape can play in that vision as well. So, George, do you think Natural England has a vision for the health agenda for the future? Yes, I think it does. And I think we need to be governed by actually the conversations we have within the health sector, but also the conversations we have within Natural England and the environmental sector as well. Um, this is not new information. People have been doing, as, as Sam and Kieran have said, um, green social prescribing in various different iterations for decades now. Um, but when we look at landscape recovery, when we look at our nature recovery projects and where we really want to invest our time in making sure that nature is as valued, maintained uh, and improved as it can be across various different landscapes, and, and when I use landscapes, I think it's notorious for us all to think about rural landscapes. But actually, from my perspective as well, I like to think about urban landscapes. So actually, how do we marry up diff different conurbations and how green corridors connect different landscapes together in? Um, but what's really important is when we work with the healthcare sector and we work with the wider community and voluntary sector as well, we be the nature recovery experts and advocates within their strategies as much as they, we invite them to become the health and wellbeing advocates within our strategies as well. 
So when it comes to landscape recovery, we need to be inviting in the health sector, the communities, the voluntary sector, people who operate in those areas, who are the experts of those places within a landscape to provide the expertise from a health angle. Um, so for instance, what would be fantastic in an ideal world is if we have landscapes and partnerships where we've got individuals who come from the health sector, the natural environments, both blue and green, um, but also individuals who have a clear understanding of the landscape in response to climate change and the climate ecological crises. Um, Community-led investment and understanding of a certain place, the creative engagement and the arts in those areas, active lifestyle, you know, food provision, there's some beautiful place of a fantastic Venn diagram that has healthy placemaking in the middle of that. And I think our landscape approach is exactly the same thing, if not mirrored, to the way that a lot of the health sector operates in a place-based model. It's no different. It's simply a change of terminology. And the beauty of us stepping into the health world as Natural England is that we're able to use the terminology. We just use a different facade as such and we bring people with us together um, and before you know it you've got two large sectors two large industries who are then working together with a shared common goal of how we create spaces that are healthy for people for thriving nature and that people can live longer and have just more enjoyable lives essentially. And Kieran would you say you know working in an organisation that's that's using this social prescribing that that you feel similar to George? Yeah absolutely and I, I would just throw in let's not forget um, all the elements of sustainability we've talked about um, social sustainability health environmental sustainability and recovery but remember there's an economic angle here as well in terms of we've talked about money saved also you know a city that is greener that has healthier people is much more attractive for investment hopefully sustainable investment the amount of times we have created spaces in areas that have been forgotten desolate, wider determinants of health, all that sort of depressing, broken window syndrome, dog poo on the, the patch of grass. But when you create an energy there, people come out, they want to get involved. One of the first questions that community voluntary and faith sector organisations would ask myself and my colleagues is where is the funding since the pandemic, things have got a lot, lot worse. It's a lot, lot harder for a lot more people. Um, and hearing stories about people using their own funds, their own monies to keep um, projects going. I'd like to hear more about the Green Spaces Fund. I don't actually know that much about it. So this fund is all about addressing that and trying to make it fairer by um, targeting investment into our more deprived communities to improve their levels of green space. I think that's brought me really nicely onto looking towards the future with this. And, and if you can, just maybe in a sentence each, just sum up what your hopes are for the future of green social prescribing. I think is where it's seen as normal, where our colleagues, our clinicians, our communities, where all of us, we see it as a normal prescription. So it's a normal thing you can get either from a link worker, an allied health profession, actually I'd argue from anybody working within health and social care sector, and that it's properly funded and that funding is sustainable. And we do more research and more evidence-based specific to the impact that has on people's nature connection and connecting to action on climate crisis. Kieran, go on, what are your hopes? 
I would echo that, yeah, certainly that it's seen as, as, as normal, it's embedded in our approach. It is funded perhaps from the environment, environmental health and business sectors, not just looking to government and, 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 health and public sector all the time. Funded to a level or empowered to a level where it, it could create jobs for people that have benefited from it, you know, lived experience. And we've found that in some of our projects where people have rebuilt their lives, that they have gone on to volunteer and then maybe, you know, be able to pass that on to make the whole experience friendly for for sadly people that may need those services in the future. And George, I know you'll have your Natural England hat on, but you obviously have a personal view on this as well. What, what do you really hope for? Yeah, so I think from a personal perspective, I've always seen green social prescribing as, as sometimes the starting formation um, for people. You know, a lot of the time, um, individuals would be prescribed in terms of those green social prescribing activities from a mental health perspective, but actually, how, do we, how does that improve our physical health as well? How does that really provide value for a lot of people to be able to get out there, be physically active in nature? And it has such a multitude of effects. So I completely just echo and reiterate what Sam and Kieran have said. I'd love to see it more platformed across various different areas within the country. I'd like to see it valued and understood as sort of a non-medicalised um, system rather than um, something that's sort of seen as left field a little bit. Um, but I'd like to see the investment there as well. Um, I, I would like to see the financial investment followed with the providers. So localised individuals who understand how to effectively run green social prescribing are um, paid effectively through their skill set um, and it's actually valued with in our primary care systems and secondary care systems. That's brilliant, thank you. There is no doubt at all that there is a massive connect between our natural world, our landscapes, and our mental and physical well-being. And it's just brilliant to get your opinions on all, all of that. So thank you. I would though like to leave our brilliant listeners with some top tips, if that's all right. What I would love is just a couple of ideas from you guys as to what people can do to perhaps look after their own health. In terms of your own health, I had a very inspirational former boss and he embedded in us that thing I mentioned earlier, the five ways to well-being. So I think, I know it's difficult and busy lives and everything, but and not get too obsessive about it, but just try and bear those in mind sometime, you know, have we, have we kept active today, have we, have we given, have we connected with someone... Have, have we learned something, you know, listened to a podcast or whatever? So that for me is a really good one. And of course, get out there and have a go at growing some food. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, I suppose a top tip from us would be uh, to consider self-referring. So I think people think that you have to be... Um, you, the only route into social prescribing is to be referred. Actually, you can walk into GP surgery and ask for a green social prescribing referral. That is a brilliant tip because I didn't know that you could do that. That is great. Thank you. Um, I would simply just advocate for the local community groups and the organisations you've got on your doorstep. Um, I think, unfortunately, what we've seen since about 2022 is that people have drifted away from natural green space as we sort of lifted out of the restrictions from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but actually, there's so many amazing organisations, small groups and charities that are doing fantastic work on your doorstep. Have a look around and see what you can do to offer that support. Um, and I will tell you now, you will get so much benefit from it. Brilliant. And I would say go for a walk in the rain. You know what you were saying, Sam, in terms of we all stay inside when that's happening. Actually, there are massive health benefits to going for a walk when it's just finished raining because it changes the air and it's really good for your lungs. So, you know, put on your wellies and get outside in the rain. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really insightful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, there you go then. Some great health tips and takeaways when it comes to spending time in our beautiful landscapes and just some of the activities connected to green social prescribing. The really exciting thing for me was hearing how we might blend the concept into our everyday health services and that idea from Sam at the end that you can self-refer. I think that is absolutely brilliant. There are many health and landscape professionals who've been developing this model supported by research and positive outcomes with routes that go back decades. But looking forward, what role can you play in supporting positive change on the health agenda? Well, perhaps it's about taking notice of your own health and considering spending more time in your local green space with the sole intention of balancing your mind or preventing physical health challenges before they arise. What about encouraging your family or friends to do the same? Perhaps you could even listen to the next episode of the Landscape Podcast whilst enjoying some fresh air or, you know, a splash in a puddle. Stay in the knowledge that your future self will thank you for it. I look forward to seeing you then. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye.